Man, I'm so excited. We are in week three of Obsessed. And the last couple of weeks we've been talking about dating and looking at kind of what that looks like through the lens of, of the Bible, what that looks like through the lens of someone who calls themselves a follower of Christ, how we're supposed to look at that and, and think through that and plan that in our lives. And, and tonight in week three, we are going to be talking about sex. That's right. And, uh, and, uh, and next week, we're doing something special next week. We got something really cool planned next week. We're actually going to do... A, we're going to do a Q&A thing on dating and sex and this whole conversation, and we're going to do something where it, it, kind, of, uh, it kind of makes things a little more comfortable. We're going to split up the guys and the girls about halfway through the service, where the guys are going to go down the cornerstone, and we're going to have a little panel, and you can Q&A questions about all kinds of stuff that relate to this topic. We're so excited about it. It's going to be an amazing night. Anytime we've done that, it's always been one of the most uh, amazing nights that we've had during our series. Now, tonight... What I want to do as we begin this conversation is I want to give you sort of a 30,000-foot view of what the Bible teaches and then kind of get into the nitty-gritty of where we want to go tonight. So from a 30,000-foot view of what the Bible teaches, the first thing you need to know is this, is that God takes relationships seriously. God takes relationships seriously, and he takes how we navigate those relationships seriously, and he takes the boundaries that we set around those relationships seriously as well. And the scripture teaches us all kinds of things about marriage, about relationships, about sex. In fact, the Bible opens with marriage and the Bible closes with marriage. The Bible, the scriptures give us over 47 verses on how sex and marriage and how all of that fit together. Now, here's the deal. If God says something once in his word, you should pay attention to it. If God says something over 47 times in his word, you need to like memorize it, meditate on it, figure out why God is saying that this is so important for you and for your life. And so as we kind of dive into this, I want to I wanna show, uh, show you just a few verses right off the top, uh, and, and we'll put them up on the screen for you. And starting, the Bible opens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says this. So a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus, later on in the Bible, uh, reflects back on this verse and gives this verse again and puts some teaching around it. And the Bible would tell us that, that a man will leave his mother and his father, that there will come a day when you're going to leave your mom and dad, where you're going to get married. And when the Bible says you'll become one flesh, what it's saying is, is that you'll be united together, that you'll become one with one another. And a part of that act is the part of, of having sex, that that's a part of it, that a part of marriage is, is that act. And then it goes on in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says this. It says, <laughs> marriage should be honored by everyone. Marriage should be honored by everyone. That this is a serious deal. Marriage is something that we need to consider and take seriously. Then he goes on, he says, and husbands and wives should keep their marriage pure. God will judge as guilty those who take part in sexual sins. In other words, this marriage thing is a big deal. Let me, let me show you the importance, the weight. I want you to feel the weight of what it must be like, the way that God lays it out in the scripture. Here it is. God chooses to use the relationship that exists between a husband and a wife to reflect and give us a picture of the relationship that exists between himself and the church. In fact, the, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, we see the Bible telling us things like, uh, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
That there's this picture that as men, we're to love our wives sacrificially. That we're to give ourselves up for, for our wife the same way in which, in which Christ gave himself up for the church. That the marriage relationship is considered such a high priority, God-ordained covenant by God, that God says, this is the relationship that I'm going to picture in my word to show the relationship that exists between myself and you as my children, as my people, as the church. It's a pretty amazing picture. And then uh, uh, one of the things that we see here that's kind of clearly laid out in this, in, in, in these scriptures, and kind of what I just read, I want, I want to put it up here on the board and kind of give you a visual for it, that, that, uh, that, that marriage and sex and how this works is, is that this right here would be the way, we would call this like the holiness circle. What, is, what, is, what makes sex holy? And so we'll just write sex in here. And the cool thing about it is, is that God gives this to us as a gift. God designed it. It was his idea. But God put some boundaries around it. And God didn't put tons of boundaries around it. God said that it is to be between uh, a man and a woman. So it is to between, be between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. And the Bible would teach us that anything that is outside of this, sex outside of this circle, is unholy and a perversion of what God intended sex to be. And so it would be something like this. If you were in a, in, a, in a marital relationship, a husband and a wife, and you went outside of this circle to have your sexual needs met, then it would be considered against what God's purpose is or a perversion of what his purpose is. If you are not married, you're not even in the circle. And sex is only wholly inside of this circle. Now, this doesn't just include physical acts with one another, but listen, this, could, this includes pornography. This includes, this includes uh, sexting. This includes anything that is sexual with one person to another that is outside of the boundaries that God has set up. And here's the truth. You put boundaries around things you care about. You put boundaries around things that are important. In my house, if you go to my house, I have... Uh, on our stairs, at the bottom of our stairs, I have a gate that we keep closed and locked. And I have a gate at the top of my stairs that we keep, keep closed and locked. And the reason is because I have a two-year-old in the house. And my two-year-old is perfectly comfortable going up and down steps right now. But on occasion, she gets a little wobbly. And if she misses a step, her little legs are short, you know, and she can go tumbling. Like she did earlier this week. She had a bad week. <laughs> and uh, but we set those boundaries up in our house because we want to protect our daughter. We want, we want to we care for her. We want to protect her. Parents give their kids curfews for a reason. They give it to you because like, hey, we want to protect you. You know what? Here's the deal. It's not that I don't trust you. It's just I don't trust that if you're out at one or two o'clock on the morning on the weekend, that some guy who's just leaving some bar who's drunk off of his mind is going to be driving as a drunk driver and is going to hit you and kill you. And I couldn't live the rest of my life knowing that I allowed you to stay out all night and you got killed by a drunk driver and you are my kid, one of the most important things to me in my life. We put boundaries around the things that we care about and the things that are important and God says listen sex is important it is a powerful thing our culture leverages sex like crazy and uses the power of it this is a powerful thing and God knows that so he sets boundaries around it because it's important because it's significant because it's something that we should be thinking about and the truth is <coughs> the truth is is that our culture teaches a different message than what the Bible teaches on this topic of sex it does our culture teaches us, hey, listen, do what you want to do. It's your body. If it feels good, do it. 
Hey, man, everybody else is doing it. Come on, man, that Bible stuff, that's traditional. Like, it's old. Like, it's outdated. Man, if God lived in our day, there's no way that God would have said those things. And our culture has a lot of things to say about sex. And the truth is, is that 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 message has infiltrated the church. It's infiltrated Christians. It's infiltrated the way we think about things. In fact, studies show that Christian teenagers... Uh, think Christian te- that the majority of Christian teenagers, over 60%, believe, this is Christian teenagers, believe that it is absurd to wait until your wedding night to have sex. That additionally, most teenagers today, Christian teenagers, believe that there is nothing wrong with living with your partner to get practice in the, the, the dating relationship before you get married. But let's look at the studies. I can show you this. In fact, girls, uh, uh, ladies, women in their 20s and 30s, so from 20-year-old to 39 years old, from your 20s and 30s, 25%, 25% are cohabiting or living together, not married. 50% of the women surveyed, 20 to 39 years old, 50% who were not living with someone at the moment had lived with a boyfriend in their past. Which, by the way, let me tell you what living together is. Living together is being able to enjoy the fruits of marriage without having the commitment of marriage. It's being able to enjoy the fruits of marriage. You you have the sex, you're sleeping together, you're doing whatever you want to do. It is enjoying the fruits of the marriage without the commitment of the marriage. I still got my, hey man, I can leave any time type of card. And let me, tell you, let me tell you what the studies show. Let me, let me read some of, the, some of the data. Let me read you some of the studies. Here's what the studies show. The studies show that the divorce rate among those who live together before marriage is 150% higher than those that do not live together before they get married. 150%. While studies show that those that wait until their marriage, till they're married, have notably higher happiness in marriage. Studies show that men who are virgins when they marry are 37% less likely to get divorced. And women who are virgins when they get married are 24% less likely to get divorced. It's crazy. This is a crazy statistic. Did you know that teenagers, teenage girls that are virgins, the studies show that there is a 0% chance that you're going to get pregnant. It's crazy. Teen pregnancy is zero. Zero. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. That literally, uh, students who are virgins, like literally, literally, almost all of them uh, don't have to worry about STDs. It's unbelievable. It's, it's just insane thing. And, and look, here's the point. Why do you read that? Why do you tell us those statistics? Here's the point. The point is, is that this data and these studies just support that what God says is true. The study and the data just shows us that what God says is true and it's applicable. Not just for way back then, but even for today. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is eternal. God lives outside of space and time. God is omniscient. God knew what was going to happen in the year 2020. God knows what's going to happen in the year 2050. God knows all of that because God is omniscient. He is God. The Bible tells us that a thousand years are but a day to the Lord. So 2,000 years ago to God is like two days. He doesn't see time the way we see time. He doesn't think about time the way we think about time because he's God. 
And the truth is, is that when we look in the scripture, we see that there are things that are laid out for us in scripture that when you begin to look at the data and the research and the way that our community and our world and our culture and our society is going today, when we go against what the word of God says, that it leads to more damage, baggage, etc. in our lives. And so this is what I want to do tonight. I want to I I give you some practical stuff, but I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <coughs> your worship center Bibles, there's one on your chair if you want it. You can pull out your notes. And I want to give you, I want to give you four lies that the culture teaches us. I want to engage them. I want to hit them head on. These are the questions that you're asking. These are the questions that I get most from students. And then I want to give you just a couple practical things that you do more uh, how-to on how you can uh, deal with this. What do you need to do to uh, honor God in your relationships, in particular when it comes to, to sex? Here we go. I'm going to give you four lies. Here's the first lie. The first lie is this. Your body is your own. Your body is your own. This is what the culture tells us. Our culture tells us that our body is our own. Hey, my body is my own, and I'm free to do whatever I want to do with it. I can express myself however I want. I can sexually express myself however I want. And here's the deal. If you don't like it, then you are just a judgmental, intolerant hater. My body is my own. Who are you to tell me what I do with my body? And I want you to notice what it says here in the scripture. I want you to notice what it says in, uh, in chapter 6. Um, in fact, if you go, to, um, if you go to, uh, to verse 13, notice what it says in verse 13. We're on page 1146. Notice what it says on verse 13. It says this. It says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but listen, but for the Lord. Your body's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Then you drop down to verse 15. Look what it says. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That literally, when you give your life to Jesus, you become united with him in a relationship with him. The picture of that marriage relationship, like a one flesh relationship, that it is an intimate covenant that you're making with God. And notice what it says. It even, it even gives us strong language. Notice what it says. Shall I then take the members of Christ, now that I'm a Christian, I've given my life to him, I'm united him, and unite them with a prostitute? Never. I mean, that's strong words. He says prostitute. Like, well, hold on, bro. Chill out, man. But here's, here's the crazy. I'll just give you a little history. Did you know, did you know 100 years ago, 100 years ago, no one understood dating except for understanding if you said you were going on a date, that meant that you were going to go be with a prostitute. That's what it meant. That, that literally, that concept, the concept of dating as we know it today has, has changed drastically over the last 100 years. 100 years ago, people didn't date in the way that we see it in today. And I love what this author said. I thought, man, I thought this was, this was so, um, so intriguing when I look at our culture today and I talk to people. Listen, listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. He says, interestingly, while dating isn't overtly a euphemism for prostitution anymore, for many men, the process is similar. Listen, a man takes a woman out, spends money on her, and then expects her to put out. It's the same as prostitution. That's good. That's good. And the truth is, is if we don't use currency, we use our words. Well, if I tell her these things, if I tell her I love her, if I tell her certain things to her, or tell her certain things that I'll draw her heart in, and it will allow me to be able to cross some boundaries that I want to cross to fulfill my needs sexually. 
And it's a lie in our culture. Your body is not your own. He goes on in verse 17. He says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That as a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. That God, the Holy Spirit lives in you and works through you. And so your body is the temple of God. Your body's not your own. God created you. Everything that you are is of him. And your bodies are important to him. He goes on and says, verse 19 of of chapter 6, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. The second lie of our culture is this. Love plus time equals sex. Love plus time equals sex. Man, I hear this all the time from students, from young adults. They say this. Well, dude, listen, man, come on. Like, you got to be serious. Like, we've been together for two years. Like, dude, we love each other. We've been together. You mean to tell? Like, here's the deal, bro. Like, I'm 16 years old. I'm not getting married. Like, if we don't get married till we're 23, are you telling me that I'm going to date this girl for seven years and we ain't going to do it? Like, come on, man. Come on. Like, let's be serious. And that's how we begin to approach it. We begin to think, hey, man, if I love someone, as long as I'm in a relationship long enough with them, or, hey, we're going to get married one day. We're just, it's going to work out. And we begin to buy into this lie. And what happens is, and let me, I want you to see this. What we do is we are beginning to justify our sin, our behavior, and what we do. We begin to justify it. We say, hey, man, listen, like, like we're going to get married one day, and we begin to justify it. And the reason we justify is because if we justify it, then it means that we're not responsible. And if we're not responsible, it's not sin. And it's how we back out of it. It's how we allow ourselves to feel good about ourselves, about the things that we're doing that we know um, are, uh, you know, uh, counter, counter to what the Bible would teach us. And this is what happens. I talk to young adults, people who are just a few years older than you, and the girl's pregnant, and they're living together, and they'll say this, so like, man, listen, like, like, we have no idea how we got here. We had no idea how we got to this place. I mean, we were so involved in the church. We were so involved with youth group. We were so involved with God. And, and we said we were never going to go there. And, and, and here we are here. And, and we never thought we would be here. And listen, if you don't know how you get there, I promise you, you will be there. I love it. PK, our senior pastor, talks about this and how he teaches his kids how you need to know how you get there. And the picture that he gives is a picture of a parking lot where there's the parking spaces. And so there's a line for each parking space. He says, and this is what we do. What we do is we get into a relationship, and we decide when we get into a relationship. As a believer, we say, well, hey, listen, our purity is important to us. We're not going to cross boundaries. Let's make some boundaries. So you make some boundaries, and this is a boundary that maybe you would make. All right, look, here's the deal. We want to keep things pure. It's going to be above the, above the head is, is on limits. Below the head is off limits. So, or above the neck. Above the neck is, is on, is good. Below the neck is bad. Above the, head is, above the neck is good. Below the head is, is bad. And so, so we're going to keep it up here, right? And so, so we've, we've, we've made a line in the sand, and we're not going to go past it. But this is what happens. When you make lines and boundaries in your relationship, this is what I found. What we do is we know, well, that's legal. So we get all the way up next to the line, and we tightrope that line with the person because we've already said that this is legal. But then after a while of tight roping that line and making out with each other, you get to this point where you're like, wow, you know what, man? Like, I really like making out with you, but, like, I, I feel like this is a little unrealistic for us just to keep it above that. All right, so listen, listen, this is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to move the line. We're going to move the line. We're not going to get crazy. So what we do is we move the line. We cross the line, and we say, now we say above the waist, or above the waist, but not below the waist. Above the waist, but not below the waist. Above the waist, but not below the waist. That's what we say. Above the waist, not below the waist. And so we, we make a line. Now, this is what we do. We say, we say not below the waist because now we still have kind of a moral compass. Hey, we are still got a boundary. Like, we cross that line, but we still have a boundary. We still feel good about ourselves because, 
And then after a while, it's, okay, below the waist, but not all the way. Below the waist, but not all the way. Okay, all the way, but we're not going to live together. And that's how you get there. It's crossing one line and holding to another so you feel good about the line that you just crossed. And it's crossing another line and holding to another line so you, you feel good about, about what you're what you crossed. And this keeps happening, and this pattern breaks us down in our relationships. And I'm here to tell you, students, listen, I have told many of you students in this room this, and it has been rather prophetic in your relationships. That if you want to be in a relationship that is sexually active and doesn't honor God, God's favor is not going to be on that relationship, and that relationship will end. It will end. It will never work. You cannot be in a relationship and go outside of the plan of God in that relationship and expect God to honor and put his favor on that relationship because he can't. He can't do it. We cross lines and we hold to other lines until eventually we get ourselves in a place where we're like, man, I never knew how I got here. And how you got there is you cross lines, you held the new lines, you cross lines, you held the new lines, and you did that enough time until you got there. And you got to recognize the lie. you got to know what, you, what, what you're getting yourself into. Because the truth is, sex is much more than physical. Sex is emotional. Sex is spiritual. Sex is mental. Sex is all of those things wrapped up in one. And when it's done right in a marriage covenant relationship, you realize that all those things come together. Which leads us to the next lie. Lie number three. <laughs> I have to make sure that we are sexually compatible. Man, this, our culture talks about this all the time. <laughs> I was watching Good Morning America like uh, not long ago, and, uh, and I mean, this was like a couple weeks ago, and they were asking the audience, how many of you would wait until you're married before you have sex, and not one person in the entire audience said that they would, not one person, and the, they asked people why, and almost every one of them was, well, you got to make sure you're sexually compatible before you get married, hey man, what happens if you get married, and they're just not good in bed, what happens? I mean, come on, man, you got to test drive that car before you take it off the lot. You know what I'm saying? Right? That's what our culture says. But I want you to think about it just for a minute. And I've shared this, I share this every year. What I'm about to tell you, I share this every year in February during this series. I want you to think about it just for a minute. This is what you're saying by saying, I want to test drive the car before I take it off the lot. This is what you're saying. I want the girl that I'm going to marry one day. To go out and have sex with a bunch of other guys so that she can get her practice in. So that when we get married one day, she will be good in bed so that we can enjoy it together. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's something amazing when two people come together and they don't have any sexual baggage because they have no other experiences to compare sex to, to even know what's good and to even know what's bad. And they come together in a relationship and they get married and then they get to enjoy one another and they get to figure it out together. And if you get married at 30 years old and you die at 80 years old, you get 50 years of practice to figure out how, what that person likes and what you like. Can we have that conversation? Let me, tell you, let me tell you, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to say this to be graphic, but here's the deal. No one's having this conversation with you. My wife was a virgin on our wedding night. A virgin on our wedding night. She kept herself pure. I'm the only guy my wife has ever dated, only person she's ever told she loved, 
only person she's ever kissed, the only person that she ever, you know, has ever experienced anything with. And let me tell you something. Sex is great. It's great. We learn together. Can I give you the truth? Everybody else is telling you something different. What makes you sexually compatible isn't anything physical. It is much more than that. What makes us sexually compatible is that I understand her mind, that I love her, that we're spiritually connected, that we're emotionally connected. We communicate and talk with one another. Did you know that my wife and I talk about 100 times more than we have sex? We just do. It's crazy. In relationships, you talk a lot more than you have sex. And the truth is, is that that is how relationships work. It's much more than that. It's not test drive the car before you take it off the lot. It's saying, hey, man, I want to be with someone who honors God, and I want to honor God, and I don't want to bring any baggage into my marriage, and I want to enjoy my relationship with my wife, and I want her to enjoy her relationship with me, and we're going to figure it out together, and we're going to enjoy each other, and it's going to be amazing. That is the biblical picture of what sex is meant to be, and that is why when you see all these studies, and it says people who were virgins when they got married are so much more less likely to get divorced, and people who are virgins when they get married are so much happier in marriage, and the studies show that people who are virgins when they get married have better sex lives is because they don't have this baggage that they're bringing into the marriage it's a lie that our culture is feeding us and it is dismantling our churches it is dismantling not only our churches but everybody it's dismantling our people it's dismantling our country all right i'll move on i can talk about this for hours lie number four last lie listen as long as i'm not doing the deed it is not sin. Hey man, hey man, hey we ain't, hey, come on man. Like we, like we ain't doing it. You know what I'm saying? As long as I ain't doing the deed, it ain't sin. Hey man, the Bible says don't have sex before you get married, but it doesn't say all this other stuff. Oh no no no, the Bible does say all that other stuff. In fact, the word sexual immorality comes from the Greek word pornia, which literally means anything that is outside of the marriage bedroom, anything that is outside of a, the marriage uh, relationship with your wife that has any bend towards sexuality. Anything. In fact, the word is so broad that it literally means even if you could invent something, it is included in there. If you could come up with an idea that no one's ever thought of to express yourself sexually, it includes that. That is the broadness in which that Greek word is mentioned. And sec the word sexual immorality is mentioned all over the scripture. In fact, we're going to look at a couple verses from it right here. But one of the verses, if you're, if you're looking at your Bible here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to, I want you to see this. Verse 1. We're just going to read verse 1. I want you to see this. It says this. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, I'm going to give you the literal Greek translation of this. So, because so, the New Testament was written in Greek in its original language, I want to give you the literal, uh, literal translation of it. I wrote it down. Now, concerning these... Goodness. Uh, some, there's a cat over there or something. Uh, now, concerning these things you heard about, it is not good. This is what the literal translation is. It is not good for a man to touch a woman. Now, that word woman in the Greek is talking about a woman who is not your wife. It's talking about any woman who is not your wife. That is the literal word that it's using here. So this is literally what it's saying is, it is not good for you to touch a woman that is not your wife. Now that word touch, the Greek word there means to kindle or to set a flame. So when students ask me, hey, listen, Derek, how far is too far? 
Here it is, here it is. This is what this verse is saying. How far is too far is this? Whenever it starts getting kindled or being set aflame in you. And so here's the deal. If you're hanging out with your girl and she goes over and she holds your hand and all the googly start going on inside, start feeling all warm and fuzzy, and it starts making you want to do more, it is kindling that fire. It is kindling it. That's too much. For some people, holding hands is too much. If you're kissing your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever, and while you're kissing them, it, something, something starts coming, you know what I'm saying? It starts building up in you, and, and, and it starts wanting to come out of you, and you want to, you know, kind of, you know, go a little further in the relationship. Uh, that is beginning to fan the flame. It is kindling the flame. That is too far for you. That is too far for you. I find it hard to believe, at least in my experience, that you can make out, have a make out session, and it not fan the flame. Just my experience, that it not fan the flame, that it not kindle the fire. And in your relationship, you have to be careful, you have to be cautious to not kindle the fire. Like if you're, you're laying there cuddling with each other under a blanket, breathing on each other's neck, you are kindling the fire. You know what I mean? I had a student in my youth group tell me one time, yeah, me and my girlfriend, like, we lay in bed together naked, but we don't have sex. Are you crazy? <laughs> Not me. Hey, we can handle ourselves. No, you can't. <laughs> Ephesians 5.3 one of my favorite verses in the Bible when it comes to this issue and one I've memorized, it says this. It says, do not let there even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Not even a hint of sexual immorality among you. If you ever start thinking, man, what's a hint or, or whatever, uh, <coughs> how much poop would it take on a burger for you not to eat it? Just a hint. You put a little sliver of poop on a burger, I ain't eating it. So if you're like, oh, yeah, Derek, that's open for interpretation. I don't know what a hint is. That's how you can think about a hint when you read that verse. All right. All right, what do I do? Those are the things I want you to know. What do I do? I got three things I want you to do. You can write these down. The first one is this. The first one is this. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. And this is what I mean by that. What I mean by that is what informs the way you view the world? What informs the way you view sex? What informs the way you view relationships? What informs the way you view marriage? The truth is many of us in this room, if not most of us, because I know many of you in this room come from homes where marriage wasn't a high priority and you are from a broken home, a divorced home. In fact, Dustin, last week, who was up here preaching, talked a little bit about the story uh, of his family. You know, his parents were divorced before he was even born and has never lived one day in the home with his mom and his dad. And that's the reality for some of us in this room. Not all of us have honorable parents. Not all of us have situations that are ideal. And we begin to allow our worldview to get formed by our experiences. If I had a dollar for every time in the last couple years I've heard somebody say, I don't believe in love, I don't believe in marriage, man, I would be a rich man because something happened in their family. And what I would tell you is, is that don't let that be an indication of how life really is. 
Your perspective is small if the only perspective you have is your family because I'm telling you, God has a such bigger and greater picture out there for you if you can understand what God teaches in his word. If you would pass the way you think and the way you see the world through what he teaches, it would open you up to this amazing life that he has for you. His way with the right boundaries that produce the most healthy relationships that can exist on the face of the earth. Anybody who tells you that marriage is bad, they're not doing it the right way. I'm not telling you marriage is easy and it's great and it's all, you know, and, and you never have problems, you never have arguments, you never have any of that kind of stuff. That's just a part of being relation, in a relationship. But I'm telling you that marriage is an amazing gift and it's so much fun. And I don't know what your worldview is and I don't know what you have as far as that goes, but you need to guard your mind. You need to guard your thinking. You need to pass your thinking through the word of God and let that inform the way you think about things. Because I'm telling you, it'll change your life. The second thing is this, set boundaries. Set boundaries. If you back up in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18, it says this. <coughs> Flee sexual immorality. There's that word, sexual immorality, pornia again. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Remember, you don't own your body. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I love what he says. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins are committed outside the body. But when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Listen, listen. Sexual sin is put in a league of its own. Now, all sin separates us from God. I'm not saying that sexual sin is bigger than lying or any of that kind of stuff, but it's set in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a league of its own. This is what he says. Notice, he says, flee sexual, sexual immorality. All other sins are committed outside the body. So all their sins are outside the body. When you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. There's something different. There's something unique about it. That's why he says flee from it. The word flee literally means to turn and run in the other direction. Practically, what does that look like? This is what it looks like. You go over to your girl's house. You knock on the door, she comes to the door, you go in. You're like, man, she looks good today. You walk in the kitchen, she pours you some water, you have some water there. Take a sip. She says, uh, you say, well, you know, hey, where, where's, your, where's your parents? Oh, they're not going to be home for another hour. What do you do? You flee. You drop the water on the floor and you turn to the door and you run. As fast as you can, you bust through the door like, like, like Godzilla's chasing you. You know what I'm saying? You get out of there. Like, here's the deal. There's a perfect scenario where every single person in this room will fall, including myself. You think I'm above falling into sexual sin because I'm a pastor? You're crazy. I have to flee. If I'm in the house and I start getting tempted, I go outside. I have locks on computers, I have locks on my phone, not because I'm always thinking about porn or anything like that, but here's the deal. If there, I want to set the boundaries up in case the temptation comes so I can already have some things in place so that I won't get wrapped up in it. I'm not above it. I need to submit myself to the Spirit of God and my relationship with God every single day just like you do. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm immune. How many pastors have you heard fall in your lifetime? A lot, right? I'm no better because I'm on this stage. You have to set boundaries. You have to flee sexual immorality. I think practically speaking, there's two things I would say to you in your relationships. Practically speaking is, is this. 
Stay vertical and stay public. Stay vertical and stay public. Here's the deal. If you're in the mall around a bunch of people and you're doing some hmm like you're weird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Like, you need some help, all right? Stay public and stay vertical. Hey, man, you're, and I know some of you got dirty minds. You're like, well, if you're standing up and you're vertical, you can still. Come on, man. <laughs> I know somebody was thinking it. And uh, <laughs> stay vertical. You know what I mean? Stay vertical, stay public. Set some boundaries. Have a conversation with the person you're dating and say, hey, listen, uh, we want to honor God in this relationship. I would rather be in a relationship that doesn't work out, that honors God, than in a relationship that ends up working out that doesn't honor God because there's going to be a lot of pain and hurt and baggage in that relationship for years to come because we didn't honor God in it and do things the right way. And so let's figure out some boundaries that are healthy, that make sense for us. My wife and I made these boundaries before we got married. Even though my wife was a virgin, and, and, and all, we made these boundaries before we got, before we, when we started dating. I told her, hey, listen, we cannot be at your house, and you can't be at my house without other people being there. We're not going to go in your room or my room and close the door. We're not going to lay down and cuddle each other on the couch underneath a blanket. We're not going to do that kind of stuff. Here's the deal, dude. I got married when I was 28 years old. I'm a 28-year-old man saying, hey, listen. We can't be under the covers together. God, I think, honors our marriage and honors our marriage, our, 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 our sex life and everything else because we set those boundaries early on in our relationships. We made it serious. And you got to be serious about it. And I think that brings us to the third, the third to do. Commit to purity. Commit to purity. Let your purity be a gift to your future spouse. Let it be a gift to that person. Commit to purity. Commit to keeping that pure for that person one day so that you can honor your marriage and, and honor them in that way. Now listen, this is what I know to be true because it was later on in my life when I became a Christian and I hadn't always followed Jesus. And though my wife was a virgin when we got married, I was not. And the truth is, is that I was in a lot of unhealthy, broken relationships before I was a Christian and early on as a Christian that led to uh, sexual experiences and stuff like that. And for me, that was, uh, that's a pretty heavy thing. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do to sit down and tell my wife. And this is what I know. What I know is, is that not every person in this room has, you, you, maybe for you, you're like, man, I wish I heard this a long time ago. Not every person in this room has committed to purity in their life and you've fallen and i'll tell you what what our world teaches you what our culture teaches you what begins to kind of breed up in your mind this is what you what, what we begin to think i've felt this and this is why i say it too what we begin to think is we think man i've already i've already done it i've already done it why does it matter why does it matter to commit to purity anymore i've already messed up i've already done it why does it matter to commit to purity now it's never too late to honor God with your life. It's never too late to honor God with your life. Turn to God and say, God, I confess my sin to you. I confess that I did this. And you need to trust and know that God will forgive you. The, word, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sin, 
he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That when we bring that to God, God forgives us that what Jesus did on the cross was to cover that sin. That we don't have to be in bondage to the guilt and shame that comes from the mistakes that we've had in our life. Because Jesus came to die to remove that guilt and shame from us. And God's forgiveness comes in and it begins to bring healing. And it begins to bring peace. And it begins to bring comfort in those areas of our life. 